I've got cancer, but I'm part of a clinical trial that could lead to new breakthroughs. I've got cancer, but I've also got researchers working together to find a cure. If you or a loved one has cancer, you need New Jersey's only comprehensive cancer center designated by the National Cancer Institute. I've got cancer, but I've also got hope. Learn more at rwjbh.org slash beatcancer. RWJ Barnabas Health and Rutgers Cancer Institute of New Jersey. Let's beat cancer together. RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey's largest academic health care system and official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. Let's be healthy together. Learn more at rwjbh.org. Speak of the Devils is supported by Riverside Oral Surgery, official partner of the New Jersey Devils. Hi, everybody. I'm Matt Lachlan. Welcome to the final regular season edition of Speak of the Devils, a podcast brought to you by our good friends at RWJ Barnabas Health. And we got the whole gang here for this one. Amanda Stein, Chris Westcott, Sam Kassan, thanks so much for joining us today. So as the regular season comes to an end, and we say that because there's actually, as we record, there's two games left, but basically the season is in the books. I know this will drop a little bit after uh, we record this. So the point is, we're going to review the good, the bad. We'll take a look at some of the ugly. We'll be as truthful as we can. We always try to be on this podcast. And so we're just going to start with some general overviews. And Amanda, we'll start with you. First off, I know all the fans were missing you toward the end on the road trip. How you doing? I'm doing much better. Um, and I'm so happy that I was able to come back for the last game of the year. Just um, it felt very very sad to think that I was just going to go out like that, like Jack and Stegenthaler and all that. So very happy I could come back and close out the year. And thank you for asking Matt. I really appreciate it. And I think sort of that, you know, what I went through with not feeling well and being taken out of the lineup, if you will, suddenly is kind of a metaphor for how this season has gone. There's been so many moments where, you know, something has happened that has derailed whether it's the next game or the next couple games or even several months you know I'm thinking back to the beginning of the season and you know part of the conversation we were having was about vaccinations and playing in Canada and all those types of things that seem light years of you know like behind us at this point because so much has happened so when I kind of look at this year it really is that roller coaster because you know you've got eight players making an NHL debut you have you know the goaltending situation and I don't want to go through everything because of the other people on the podcast but it has been a ride Uh, it has been that that's for sure sometimes I wonder whether I wanted to pay the ticket to get on that ride, but overall <laughs> it's been a lot of fun because there's been some highs, but there've been a lot of lows as we know, Chris Westcott, your thoughts. Yeah, I think it's been, uh, it's been a rough season. Let's, let's not sugarcoat this guys. I mean, it has been a brutal season. I think almost everybody, you know, some, some people were predicting that the devils would make the playoffs. I think realistically, my goal was always to play meaningful games down the stretch, you know, especially into March. And unfortunately, because of all the things that Amanda mentioned and more that we'll discuss on this call, that didn't happen. But look, we're also going to talk about the positives, right? It it would be a nightmare situation if the Devils had the season that they had, but weren't developing their young talent, both down in the American Hockey League and when they got the opportunity to come up here. And also the established NHLers as well. I'm sure that we'll want to dive deep into Nico Heischer's resurgence and 
his numbers as of late, but also, you know, Jack Hughes is a bona fide NHL superstar. Now you have one of those guys, you have an elite offensive player in the national hockey league, and he's only going to get better. He was just a teenager, not too long ago. So look, it's been a roller coaster, but the highs are, I think more, uh, indicative of the future of this organization. Good point. Sam, your thoughts. Yeah, as everyone said, very disappointing season, especially going in. Again, the expectation wasn't to make the playoffs, but to keep pushing this thing forward a little bit more forward. And I think the most disappointing thing, we'll start with the bad first. Most disappointing thing is that really it was in late November when this team kind of fell out of that contention slot. We talk about the injuries and we can talk about the goaltending situation, all that stuff. But really, that hadn't really mounted until well into December and January where those things kind of caught up with the team, which by then they were already kind of out of it. So the disappointing thing was as of late November, they were kind of falling Had a tough month in there and couldn't afford to have that. But on the bright spot, I mean, we're coming off a game in which it was a wild one in Ottawa. I know, Maddie, you were there calling it. And they were down two goals in the third period, rallied to force an overtime. They're coming off a road trip, a five-game road trip against some tough teams. It went three, one, and one. This, albeit without Jack Hughes, without Mackenzie Blackwood, who wasn't part of that road trip. So there are signs that this team can compete and play even when the star players and the studs aren't in the lineup. So that's all good. And then Chris mentioned the developing. In Ottawa, you had a goal from Nolan Foote. Well, he had two goals. But on his first goal, Nolan Foote gets the goal. Fabian Zetterlin sets him up. And Riley Walsh, in his NHL debut, gets another assist. So you're seeing kind of those guys, and obviously Utica is going to have a, a great run, hopefully down in the American League. You've seen the development in Utica certainly this year. So lots of good signs, lots of things to hang your hat on, lots of things to be optimistic about. Yeah, one of the things that I've been uh, asked to do down the stretch here is spend some time with members of team management, or more recently, Ken Danico and I have hosted them, where we speak to some of the fans and go over some of the things. And you can feel their frustration. But what I've said is, don't lose sight of the forest for the trees. Look, talking about the lottery again is not what anyone had hoped to do, or at least not having a high chance at getting the number one pick. I think the most optimistic person would say, yeah, if things go right, the Devils would be in the playoffs. But that would require Pittsburgh to fall off, which they haven't. Washington to fall off, which they haven't. And the Devils to play above their head a little bit. So those things didn't happen. But I think we all wanted, the fans wanted management, ownership, et cetera, that in March, Chris, as you said, those meaningful games would be played. That didn't happen because, as Sam touched upon, uh, an early bad start, not so much October, but once we got later in November and through December. Anyway, it's a long way of saying there are a lot of good things to hang your hat on, but unfortunately, the record will not reflect that this year. So let's talk about some of those things, and I'll throw it out. And Kids, raise your hand if you want to have uh, something to say about it. What's the most impressive thing for you? What did you enjoy seeing the most out of the development of some of these players? Is there someone or something that really stood out? Chris Westcott. I mean, I want to reiterate Jack Hughes. Not every team in the National Hockey League has a Jack Hughes. And let's get that out of the way right now. And I think that there are a bunch of teams, if not almost all of them in the league, that would want Jack Hughes on this roster. So I think for me, it's the Devils can now say, we have an elite play driver who anytime he touches the puck is a threat to score or a threat to create scoring opportunities. Now we can build around him. I think also the resurgence of Nico Heischer, you now have a one-two punch that you know you can rely upon. 
So now build around these guys. And I think like, that's my biggest observation. That's what I like to discuss is you have the pieces and now, you know, you have the pieces. And I think that that's maybe coming out of this season. The biggest positive is, you know, what you have and you know, you have a one, two center combination who Maddie, the other night you and Chico mentioned almost every team in the national hockey league would want that one, two punch. Yeah. We were repeating what Daryl Sutter uh, told the media when we were in Calgary, which is those two guys are elite centers and the devils have them. And he said, any team, and he may not have meant literally any team and every team would exchange their centers with what the devils have. But for those who have a great one, two punch, it would be an even exchange. His point was the devils are set with those top two guys. No question about it. And I'll definitely piggyback off of that because that was my first thought is not just those two guys, but it really feels like particularly in the last two months of the season, there's been a set of four players down the middle and not every team necessarily has that luxury. I mean, not only of the one, two punch of Jack and Nico, but also a pretty set force down the middle that plays very particular roles. And I think that that comes on the back of a player like Jesper Boakvist. And I think it also speaks to learning to have the proper patience with a player, even when you're frustrated with maybe their development isn't going as fast as you would have hoped, but to have the emergence of Jesper down the middle that he's able to create offensively, becoming a good two-way player at the same time, that's huge. And not just that, Dawson Mercer is a player that you can throw in the middle, that you can throw at wing, for me, looking at any team when you're building in the NHL, having that solid force right down the middle through your lineup, you can go a really long way with that because you can find complementary wingers. Playing center is a real tough task in this league. When you mentioned finding those complementary wingers, they've got one already in Jesper Brad. I mean, we could talk about the season he had, a breakout year, if you will, uh, career numbers across the board, but even Yegor Sharangovich, no, don't forget, coming into the year, 13 games. He started the year 13 games without a goal, got two goals, broke that against Tampa Bay, and then went another 12 games without a goal. And then all of a sudden, he's got 24. You, you know, you put your head down, you look up, and he's right around in that mid-20 range of goal scoring. And we talked about coming in that he could be a potential 20, 25 goal scorer. Well, he's <laughs> going to hit that probably, at least the 24 that he's got. And now you hope maybe he can push it to a 30 and, and – also, we talk about the superstars, but I think some of the guys, even just on the back end, like uh, the development of a Siegenthaler into just a steady all around defenseman you can throw out there and, and some development in the progression of guys like Kevin Ball, who, you know, last year was a little in over his head and even earlier this year was in a little over his head. And he came back and he looks like a completely different player in his second call up. And I love seeing Ohatuk. I know it's only a two game sample size, but love seeing what he can be. So you're seeing the pieces again that are there, it might not be the superstar pieces, but those smaller complementary pieces are coming together as well. You know, and Sam, I oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, Sam, I know you've talked a lot to Lindy about the resurgence of Yegor. And one of the things, and I'll have you chime in here just because you've talked to him about it is watching him develop his skating and how that's really transformed who he's become. Um, and I think that that carries true for a lot of these players. Is it not? Yeah, and the one thing that Lindy's told me about not only Jaeger, but you mentioned Jesper Boquist, and it's it's not that these guys over the course of a season have gotten faster. I mean, it's not that they're skating faster. Their speed is what it is, but they're anticipating better. They're taking better angles. They're, you know, 
when Jesper Boquist is running up the middle and getting that seam pass, he's already got speed. He already has the angle. So by the time he catches the puck, he's at full bore. And now the defenders are backing off at the blue line. So it's little things like that. Whereas before he might've like coasted and then he catches it and he's a little fast foot and he's trying to accelerate. Well, accelerate before you have the puck is what Lindy was telling us and telling me they accelerate now before they get the pucks. So that when they catch it, they're already in full stride. They've already got the defenseman backing off and allows them to kind of enter the zone with speed. Maybe they can go wide. Maybe they cut to the middle. They can kind of make some plays from there. And one thing I like about Jaeger too, in his game, I, He's, to me, in the second latter half, he's been crashing the net more. I thought he was too much of a perimeter player in the early going of the season. And now, I mean, I can't even – I can think off the top of my head of five situations where he's just kind of at the net, at the crease. I mean, Arizona comes to mind right away. Uh, Chicago, he scored twice just standing. The puck just bounced right to him. So I think those developments – and Jesper Boca was the same. I mean, there, were, there was goals where he's just right at the net jamming pucks in, in the crease, right in the goal line. Once he got cross-checked in the crease, his head ends up in the lap of the goaltender. So you're seeing not only the speed factor, but also that just the tenacity and willingness to crash the crease. Yeah, and, and one more thing on Yegor. I think it it shows, if we're talking about like the future and predictions here, you have three potential 30-goal scorers on this roster as it stands today. I mean, we talk about Jesper Bratt at his best, potentially a 30-goal scorer there. You talk about Hughes and how he was projecting out. He could be a 30-goal scorer in the National Hockey League. And now you have Yegor Sharangovich. If he's playing at his best and he continues to develop, that could be his ceiling for the Devils. And I think that is huge. When you look at the landscape of the National Hockey League, it is leaning towards offense. And if you don't have it, you're trying to get it. And the Devils have shown that they have some of it. Now, how do they build around those pieces? Yeah, with hopefully some on the horizon as well. And we've seen some of the younger guys come up and we're anxious to see what they'll do in the postseason for Utica and then when they get to camp. So, th- you know, those are actually absolutely positive developments. And I know, you know, my, my mother, God rest her soul, used to say, uh, you know, I don't care what anybody else does. I care what you do. So I get it where our fan base doesn't want to look at Colorado or the growth in Tampa and how long it took to get there. But that's a reality. And I think I, I've said this and, and I hope those who are listening, you know, understand from the position uh, that I'm saying this, which is, look, I, I was there for the good times. I know what it's like, but you have to separate the run after 2012 from what we are at now. Now, yes, it's one appearance in 10 years in the postseason. I get that, but it is not easy. And I think a few years ago, I know I was guilty of it. I was selling some false hope. Oh, well, you know, well, we got Nico Heischer and then you got Jack Hughes. And so suddenly the Devils are going to be an elite team. It takes a long time to do that. And I know we only care about the devils, but I think we have to respect a process by which these players have to learn to go to the net. They have to learn how to play an 82 game season. They have to learn those lessons. Now we're starting to see what happens when you get to that third, fourth, and fifth year, the lessons are learned. So Nico, he has a terrific season. He's finally healthy. Although at the end of the year, he got that non COVID illness Masterton trophy nominee after what happened last year. Jack Hughes has figured it out. You, if people watch him, don't understand it. He's figured out how to play this game at the National Hockey League level. They're just not paying attention. So all those things take time. And I, I've used this example before. Pavel Zaka finally broke through. He can now rent a car legally in the United States because he turned 25 recently. These guys can't even rent a car. Never mind a guy like Jack Hughes or, or Dawson Mercer not legally able to buy buy a cocktail in this country. So this is a very young team, but it, you know the process is there, no question about it. 
Yeah, it, it certainly is. And there, there's, you know, you have to respect, and I know you do, Matt, you know, the anxiousness when, sure. of, of a fan base when you see these pieces. Um, but there are a lot of teams who have gone through these processes and you talked about them in Colorado and Tampa. Um, it's hard to be patient. And, you know, we're there every day and it's hard for us to be patient when you look at, you know, the pieces that are coming up and you mentioned Jack there and you mentioned about um, how not everybody necessarily watches Jack outside of our fan base and outside of the people who watch our team, just because he's newer. But what I really realized this year is so many broadcasters that would come into New Jersey to watch and broadcast a game from the outside. So from the opposing team, every single one of them, bar none would say to me after, wow, that Jack Hughes kid, it is night and day. He is unrecognizable from where he was. And so for me, you know, I take a lot of pride in that uh, as a member of the team, watching other people suddenly start to realize what is developing here. And it's the same thing with like Daryl Sutter mentioning it, right? Like people are starting to take notice in the NHL world um, who definitely understand that the results haven't been there for whatever reason, but there's something brewing here. There really, really is. And you have to hang, you know, you have to hang on to that right now. Amanda brought up an excellent point and let me go off ice too. Um, you know, I had an opportunity to tag along with him at the NHL media day in Chicago and going from room to room with him um, and experiencing that from side of things, the media was shocked at his personality and how bubbly he was and how he handled the circuit and how he was interacting with the other star players there in Chicago. And this was before his breakout season. So I think it's starting to kind of show in different circuits, whether that's media or players or coaches around the national hockey league, that the devils have a stud to build around. I don't want this to become the Jack Hughes podcast, but he's your North star like of this franchise. And I, I hope that devil's fans realize that uh, all roads to future cups will probably run through Jack Hughes. And I think Sam, and I, I'd like to get your opinion on this. I think that this team has moved past the, well, we're learning. So it's okay. If we lose, uh, I'm getting a very big sense from the leadership group, certainly from Nico, certainly from Jack, from some of the alternate captains as well. It's like, this is just, not acceptable. So a, a bar has been raised as well in a season as hard as this. I think you're absolutely right. And it's, they're young, but they're an old young, if you will. I mean, Nico, he's he's young, 23, but he's going to be playing his 300th game when he does suit up. Hopefully he does in the next two games again, as we're recording this. Uh, if he does get in, that's 300 games. That's a lot of NHL experience for a guy of his age. Same thing with you know, Jack Hughes, he's played a lot of games despite his age. So they've gone through the growing pains of learning through their mistakes. Even, even Yegor Sharangovich, all these guys, I mean, you mentioned Pebble Zaka can rent a car now. So these guys are still relatively young, but from an experience point of view, they're pretty old, they're pretty veteran at this point. And so I think coming into this year, it's been, obviously you mentioned how it's been a disappointing year, but I think looking at next year, results are really, really going to matter. Mm -hmm. So two years ago, during the uh, the shortened season, the shortened COVID season, I think the team and fans understood, all right, we're going to take our lumps. We really stripped this thing down. 
to bare bones. It's going to be a learning season. We're going to let them make their mistakes, yada, yada. This year it was different. The leash was a little bit shorter, a little bit tighter, a little more discipline you saw from Lindy Ruff and his coaching staff and trying to really beat into their heads some of the fundamentals and discipline and things they needed to see from them, whether it was like the puck management issues or whatever it may be. And now next year, I think it's, I think all the gloves are off. This, this is a team now. Um, they're not a veteran team by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not trying to say that, but at this point, you know, you know, with the exception of maybe say an Alexander Holtz that might be here or whoever, some younger players might be here, but for the most part, you're looking at a roster of 23 guys where 18, 19, 20 of them have been around the block quite a few times at this point. So now it's time to get those results. I think, Maddie, you mentioned earlier, you are what your record says you are. So this has been a little bit of an offseason with some extenuating circumstances. We can talk about the goaltending position, all that, the injuries, the COVID, all the reasons for it. But I think next year when we come in for camp and we get going, the excuses are gone and it's time to put up or shut up for this organization and for this team. 100%. I agree with you wholeheartedly. The, the birth certificate says one thing, but the hockey experience is something else. And so when are you veteran enough? Which is why, quite frankly, I was a little frustrated after the Carolina loss at home when Nico Heischer had to talk about learning to win. And I know, I understand what he was saying, but they had the lead. They blew it there. Like, okay, like how many, how many, how many lessons do you need to, to, partake in before the lessons take root. So uh, I agree with you. It'll be a different uh, set of uh, expectations come next year. So those are some of the positives and we didn't touch upon all of them. Nico Dawes would be one of them, but that leads to goaltending. And that is the elephant in the room. That's clearly the issue that Tom Fitzgerald has identified as number one. There are others that he wants to get to this off season. Um, You know, Dallas Sutter said at the time it was six goalies. You can't win. Can't make the playoffs, he said, if you have six goalies. It became seven shortly thereafter. Uh, I was buoyed, and again, we're recording this the day after the Ottawa game, so don't know what his second start will look like. Hopefully the fans are all energized that, that uh, uh, you know, we got a terrific start from Mackenzie Blackwood again on the final day of the regular season. But I was buoyed by that performance, but we need to see a lot more. I'm, I, I'm still not sure that the questions have been answered about whether or not he's the guy. Anybody have any thoughts about that? I think he's got the tools, but I'm not sure that I would fully be confident that he can, that he can do it based on just what's happened recently. Yeah. I mean, athletically, he's a freak. He's got all the tools to be a star goaltender in the national hockey league. And I don't think this is not public knowledge, but he hasn't in my mind proved yet that he can be that guy at least not consistently uh and i don't know if it's a fact of not being challenged or if it's the injuries or if covid played a role in all this whatever it may have been but he the fact is he hasn't proved it yet that doesn't mean he's not going to but if we're looking at the sum of all parts of his career thus far he hasn't gotten to that point so where do you go from here that's a big decision for tom fitzgerald this offseason how do you push him? How do you support him? Or w- at what point do you move on? I mean, I'm not saying that they should by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying you're going to have to have conversations about Mackenzie Blackwood because he hasn't proven it yet. Uh, I would hope that he does because he's a really nice guy and athletically he is a freak and hopefully he does develop into something special. And, you know, you talk about how you can support Mackenzie you can't fault, you know, Tom Fitzgerald in this area right now because he did go out and try and do those things. You know, if you look at 
the last two off seasons, you know, Corey Crawford retiring, that was a personal decision that he made. That's really out of anyone's control other than his, that could have been a really interesting combination. The way Corey Crawford plays same thing for Jonathan Bernier. Unfortunately, it was a season ending injury for him. So, you know, it's not without Tom Fitzgerald trying. And I think that that's really important to, um, established when we're having this conversation, because I think it has been about trying to find a support for McKenzie. Um, a lot, you know, a lot of times when we talk about goaltenders coming in, that's sort of the number one thing that's being discussed. You want a one, a one B thing while you're trying to figure out what you have in McKenzie, because you've seen flashes of brilliance. Um, but again, to what Chris was saying, not consistently. And you know, what I think about is that I've been with this team now for five seasons. I've watched 15 different goaltenders play for this team in five years. Now, look, you know, Eric Comrie played one game, but still, you know, 15 is a massive number in five years. You know, some some franchises haven't even gone through 50 or 15 goaltenders in their existence. So, uh, I mean, I'm exaggerating to make a point. But I think it also really hammers home the point that that has to be once again for a third offseason in a row, the main focus. And there isn't always tons of goalies on the market. So to what, Matt, you were saying before, having these two games that McKenzie will play before the end of the season, knowing where he feels he needs to improve or get healthier in the offseason those two games to me, so, so, so important because I don't think you give up on McKenzie in the summertime because of the season that he had with injuries. But I think you say, all right, this, you got to do this this year. And by this year, I mean next year. Well, Amanda, you're, you're kind of the McKenzie Blackwood of the group. You know, you, you thought we were done for the year and then you come back. Interesting enough, 15 goaltenders, seven of them this year, nearly half yeah. of that all in one season. And Amanda actually touched on it because it's interesting watching what's going on right now for the Pittsburgh Penguins who lost Tristan Jari. And the fan base there is roasting their general manager for not getting a better backup goaltender. It's not that easy to get goaltenders. <laughs> there aren't that many great quality goaltenders out there. It's very slim and difficult to find these guys. Like you can't just they don't grow on trees. I mean, some teams don't have a number one, let alone talking about trying to find a good number two or a 1A, 1B scenario. So it, it's a tough task. And to quickly touch on Mackenzie Blackwood, obviously Chris said it best with he's got all the all the tools. You can see the athleticism, the big body, the build, the reaction time. But the one thing, and I haven't watched him his entire career, but going back to last season uh, when I joined the, the franchise, the Devils, Watching him from then on, I can understand some frustration because it's almost like the game against Ottawa, again, we haven't seen his final game yet as we're recording, was a little bit of a microcosm of what you've seen from him where he'll make one or two, three really big saves, you know, made a couple breakaway saves, but then he'll get beat on on a side shot where he's got to get to the post quicker, which is one he probably wants back or over-anticipates a play where he gives up the overtime winner. And then a couple where you're like, oh, that's you can't really fault him because it was a backdoor tap-in. But, you know, the thing is I, I – been wanting him really from last year or even this year to take that step to where, okay, there's a backdoor tap in, but then he makes the save on it. You know, mm-hmm. there's always those goals you give up where you're like, Oh, it's hard to fault the goaltender on that play. But what separates certain players from say a Martin Brodeur, not to make it too comparative, 
but <laughs> no pressure, the, kid. <laughs> well, from the great greats, is they make those saves. Mm. And from I mean, Martin Bordeaux made them regularly and made it just blase to a point in, in the banality of it. And that's where I was hoping to see McKenzie get to. Now, maybe this year he wasn't able to do it because of the heel, you know, the ankle situation. Maybe last year COVID really dogged him down. But for whatever reason, he hasn't been able to take that step to where he can just completely own, dominate, and steal wins. I mean, that's what you need your goaltender to do, especially for a young team that's learning and growing, is steal a couple of victories. And they finally – the sad part is they finally figured out the offense. Now they're scoring like crazy. <laughs> and all they need is the goaltender to come through, and they just haven't gotten that so – he is a question mark. He's got all the tools and all the talent, but it is a big question for the franchise moving forward. And I, I think one of the things that is important to recognize is that this franchise, pretty much from its inception, or really, you know, to have Martin Brodeur as your goaltender for all those years, I mean, the best goaltender to ever play the game, um, who revolutionized things, that's, you know, you're a spoiled franchise. And I don't mean that in a negative way, right? You're, you're maybe lucky is probably the best way to put it. Um, and so a lot of people who have been following this team since those days haven't ever really been through what other franchises have been through in, you know, finding out who that right goalie is. Because there are a lot, like I mentioned before, there through this um and there are also a lot of franchise most franchise who were not gifted with having a player like martin brodeur carry that load for all those years and maddie i mean you were there for that i imagine there wasn't very much discussion about goaltending and it was sort of all around <laughs> for sure i, I know uh, chris wants off in here the only question was was marty going to play 76 or 78 yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and how and how would the guy who was sitting next to him uh, in the stalls in in the dressing room, going to handle his four or five opportunities. Kweski, yeah, just one more on the goaltending. So it is very difficult to find, as as you know, Sam and Amanda already alluded to here. Um, but this is you know um, a symptom of a larger illness of what I would love to talk about is that I think if there's ever an off season where you're willing to give up certain assets to acquire goaltending and fix it, uh, or acquire pieces that can help this roster now, let's even get away from goaltending. It's now. Uh, I am never. I've never been a proponent of hemorrhaging your future um, for a one cup run. But we've discussed here how we have the youngest team in the National Hockey League and core pieces to build around that are only getting better and better. So for me, it's not hemorrhaging your future. It's bolstering your future. So I don't think this team needs in a huge injection of prospects. You always do need to feed the farm. But I think this team needs immediate help. And that means it's a weaker draft, especially top heavy. So is that top pick going to be in play for immediate help? I think if there's ever an off season where you can do that and it'd be okay. And you'd be able to recover it's now. And I also think that extends beyond this year offer sheets with multiple years worth of picks. I think now is an off season where we always talk about weaponizing cap space and weaponizing the assets you have. Now, you know, you have your core. They're past that youthful, you know, learning to lose and learning to win stage. We've already discussed that. So it's not hemorrhaging your future. It's bolstering what you have to make a brighter future. And for me, that means I don't need prospects that won't play for this team for three, four years. 
I need immediate help. So if there's ever an off season where I could see them swinging for the fences and getting rid of future assets to bolster what they have on this roster, it's this one. And that could be goaltending or that could be an offer sheet for something they need up front or on the back end. I think that is something to look forward. uh, No question. And I don't want it to get too far away, Sam. I want to thank you for using the word banality in our podcast. Uh, I think it's the only hockey podcast in which that that term could be used. And uh, I appreciate your, your use of the English language. Uh, but you're right, uh, Chris. I, I think that th- there's a lot that Tom Fitzgerald's going to try to accomplish because the franchise, the team has now moved past that. Yeah, they're still building, but there's opportunity here. I think because of the positives that we talked about, because they'll be pushing for it too. It's not like, you know, Nico or Jack are going to be knocking on the door saying, Hey, what the heck are you doing? But I do think their play will demand that they be supported. You know, and as we saw last summer when they took Dougie Hamilton, which, you know, I, I like Dougie, but the second half of the season has just been a disappointment for him uh, and, you know, for the fans. So I think the team will go out and try to get some more help and not make it solely about the next five years. Like, Oh, we got to protect our draft and our cap space. I think there, there very well could be a move like that. But one of the big offseason improvements has to be Doug Ham. I want to see Dougie Hamilton of the first 30 games. I want to see Dougie Hamilton of the first 30 games where he was dynamic. He was at about two thirds of a point a game, which is fine. Boy, I don't know what it's like to get hit in the jaw with a puck and have it fractured in three spots. All I know is there's clear dividing line from what he did before to what he has done since he's returned from that broken jaw. Yeah. And let me just build off that really quickly. Uh, we talk about this all the time. I, I, I think that the second year is more indicative of what, you know, a player is when they come by a trade or via free agency. Uh, I'm not saying you throw out the first year. I just think the second year, they're more comfortable in the system. They're more comfortable with the staff. They're more comfortable with their players and teammates. Um, obviously this season has been a huge disappointment from Dougie Hamilton, but I also think he might be the type of player who's a great player on good teams. And, and an all-star player on great teams, uh, you know, versus like a Nico Heischer, he's a great player on bad teams because of the way he plays and the way he meshes with his teammates and the way that he goes, his energy level and hardworking meter is through the roof. And he's just got that consistent level up there. I think Dougie Hamilton is, could be an absolute stud on this roster. Once this team hits their peak and, and starts winning games and they're kind of in that rhythm, I think that, you know, he's that good vibes role kind of player. And I think that he plays a role and at, at a higher level on teams like that. And also probably a power play system that fits his strengths a little bit better would mm-hmm. help him get clicking as well. But for me, I think let's judge him more on next season. I mean, he's going to be here for a while considering his contract and no movement clause, obviously. So I think judging him better, um, more thoroughly based on year two with the Devils is probably the smarter way to go, but absolutely disappointing season. Yeah, and I I think you make an excellent uh, note there in terms of the second year. Sometimes it's not easy to come in that first year. A lot of pressure. I know the paycheck says we'll live up to it, but the fact of the matter is they're humans. And I'm also curious if there's something else, and we may find out, basically as this podcast drops, was there something else too? And I don't know what it could be. could be an ankle sprain he's been dealing with that limited his mobility, but hasn't been publicized. I'm just making up something because uh, again, there's been a stark difference and he would know it. If he was joining us in this podcast, he'd have to agree. And I know you you probably know him as well as anybody. Uh, You know, what's he like? Um, 
so he's very different in a one-on-one situation than he is in front of the camera with media in front of him. He's a real jokester. And I think we've seen bits and pieces of that, particularly in the beginning of the year when things were going well, which is understandable. Um, He's a a real smart guy. He's, um, you know, he's funny. He will talk to you. And like, that's the thing that I really like about him is that it doesn't matter who you are on the team, whether it's the cameraman or the, the reporter or the GM, like he treats kind of everybody the same and talks to everybody like they're human beings, which is a really nice thing. Um, and, and I don't, you know, I, I think he has his guard up because of things that happened in the past where particularly when he was playing in Calgary, he he took a bit of a beating in the media and was painted in this picture of this kind of weird dude that doesn't hang out with his teammates and, you know, that the old adage that he goes to museums instead. Now, at the beginning of the year, we were all eating our meals together just because we couldn't go out to restaurants and all that. So we would all eat together in in a lounge. And he's there, you know, he's there and he's chatting with this guy, chatting with that guy. Like there is a personality behind Dougie. And I don't think that he necessarily likes to show that as publicly as maybe it would help him a little bit. I think, I think that's sort of where I would say like, okay, Dougie, like come out in the media and say, you're not playing well, or, um, you know, talk about things. He's very, very difficult to get to talk about things. And I think that's one of the reasons why we don't necessarily hear from him all that often, because he doesn't really say very much. And I, I, do believe and Sam you you're there as much as I am it's by design on his part yeah and to go to the the on the ice too and a great point that Chris kind of brought up was Dougie Hamilton might be the one of the best or the best power play quarterbacks in the league but the devil's power play runs more through their weak side flank which would be Jack Hughes which is understandable when Jack Hughes is in the lineup you want him to be basically running the power play. I don't even know if I want to call him a flanker because he kind of rotates around and floats around a lot. But since he's been out, they, they haven't really tooled or adjusted. Like I, I'd love to see Dougie Hamilton take the responsibility or take some kind of leadership on that power play. And for a while there, he was on the second unit, you know, cause he wasn't getting it done. Damon Severson kind of display, displaced him. And so I'd love for him to try to reassert himself in an area that's really kind of his specialty. He was brought here to, to score points the man's right, you know, the, what really stuck out to me originally, especially because we, we didn't know Dougie Hamilton's personality. I mean, we read things, we heard, you know, we heard things, but we didn't really know. When he came in, something that stood out to me is during training camp, during preseason, those early days, we would always ask some of the guys, how are you adjusting? What's it like? Blah, blah, blah. And whether it was Dawson Mercer. Dawson or, Mercer. Dougie took yeah. me under his wing. Yes. So like all these guys, like even a Jesper Bratt, like all these guys, you know, when asked like, who's helping you, who's like, welcome you to the team, you know, Ryan Graves, like who's welcome you to the team, blah, blah, blah. And like all of them mentioned Dougie Hamilton. They're all like, oh yeah, he's been great. He comes up, he talks, he makes you feel a part of it. Like, and he's like, figuring oh, it out himself. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying he's a new guy as well. Like he does, you know, he, so, so I think, yeah, Amanda's right. A lot of the, the personality stuff was kind of overblown to a sense. And, you know, it, it's, it speaks volumes because like no one's telling these guys, Hey, you have to point out, Dougie Hamilton, they're pointing him out because he's the one that's talking to them, making a difference, making them feel welcome going around. I don't want to say like, like a politician, but he's going around, working the room, 
you know, trying yeah. to get to know his new teammates, trying to get to know all the young guys. And so the fact that they pointed him out by name specifically, I think speaks volumes. So as far as the, the character, I think the character is certainly there. I just want to see more of it on the ice, more leadership on the ice, more ownership on the ice. I know he wasn't brought here necessarily to be a leader. He's brought here to be a point driver, but yeah, you can still be both. Yeah, I, I agree. And and that's one area that needs improvement next year. As I said, uh, as I said, if he was with us, he would agree. So final thoughts here is uh, we've gone through a bunch of things and we could really break it down every position, every player, but I think we've done a pretty good overview. Lots of changes this summer. Chris, uh, I'm going to start with you because you suggested that this is a major summer uh, coming out of the general manager's office. I mean, that's just the way I'd look at it. I think the last couple of years, it's exactly, Sam kind of mentioned the timeline. So the first year under Lindy Ruff, it was, we're just going to let the kids play and have fun and make mistakes. And then we're going to have teaching moments. And, you know, Lindy was very soft. He's very soft spoken, you know, in post-game avails after losses. Cause you know, the guys are trying hard. I'm getting the effort I'm looking for, you know, they're just young, they're making mistakes, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll learn. And then this year was more of like, come on, stop making the same mistakes over and over again and he sat players and he sat players like as healthy scratches right Right. was high smith was like a hundred percent and the first year it was more of let's let it ride baby and just see what happens and let the dice flow but you know and, and this year it was a lot of that it was a lot more my expectations are higher why aren't yours and i feel like if you're going by those steps and you've gotten to the point where you have established a great one-two NHL punch up the middle. You have some complimentary scoring wingers. You have a rookie in Dawson Mercer who burst onto the scene, who is now going into a sophomore season after a full year in the NHL. You have a stalwart defensively in Jonas Siegenthaler, a guy that you expect to have a better second year and should be an all-star in Dougie Hamilton. Uh, you're hopefully going to fix the goaltending situation. I think this is the year that you say, this is our core. This is our team. How do we make them better now and five years down the line? And I think that means taking some swings, taking some risks. I know offer sheeting is taboo and you like, you know, managers hate each other. And that whole Carolina Montreal thing was hilarious, but uh, that's a tool in your toolbox. So if there is a player that you think you could do that for and is worth it, use the tool because you have the youngest team in the National Hockey League that is showing really above average, if not elite potential with some of your core players, now is the time to get behind them and give them the support that they need. So I do think it is a big offseason, and I think there will be multiple changes. And on the flip side of that offer sheet, you have a very, very talented player who could be offer sheeted this summer, and that is Jesper Bratt. And I think that that is a very important piece of the puzzle that's going to have to, you know, be a contract that, that is designed um, to fit that core that you were talking about. He is part of it, but there's a lot of very high paid players on this team. Where does Jesper Bratt fit in, in the numbers is I think going to be one of the biggest tasks that Tom Fitzgerald and Scott Litwack have this, this off season. But the other area for me is I need to know what happened with Ty Smith this year. That's one of my biggest question marks. What happened to Ty? Because his sophomore versus rookie season, you can't like, there's not even like a flash of who Ty was in his first season. And I'll never forget it. Sitting down with 
Tom Fitzgerald after Ty's first season. And he said, I didn't expect him to be here, but he forced our hand and he continuously forced our hand to keep him in the lineup. What happened to Ty Smith? Where is the disconnect? I think that is a huge thing that needs to be addressed this summer. Uh, agreed, obviously. <laughs> Where did he go? That's a good question. Where's Waldo? Uh, going back to kind of what Chris was talking about, looking into this offseason, though, in a more general sense, you know, we can talk about on the ice, but I want to see some changes, not just on the ice, but in the room. And we talk about the leadership here. Nico Heischer, God bless him, great leader, great captain, leads on the ice, leads by example, kind of softer spoken. Dougie Hamilton, softer spoken. Uh, we, Miles Wood obviously was out all season too. Something we should huge know. factor. Yeah. Huge factor. And Tom Fitzgerald has said, you know, some rooms are quiet. Our room was just, you could hear a pin drop. So I think they need some more personalities in the room. They need some more guys that might be a little edgier and like just a dog on bone mentality, a guy who's loud, who's in your face, who plays that way. He's in the room that way. Uh, they, they need more guys like that, more guys that can come in, with a little bit of swagger, can own the room. Again, it doesn't have to be him. But guys that can come in, have a little swagger, own things a little bit, and, and those are the kind of voices they need in the room. It, you know, it's not it's not all the rah-rah, kumbaya, let's sit around a campfire and, you know, come on, guys, let's go. You're doing great. No, we need guys <laughs> that get in each other's face and hold each other accountable and say, you know, I don't want to name any names, but player A, you weren't in the right position. Where the heck were you? Blah, blah, blah. And then they have the banter and, and Maddie remembers uh, we had a, a great podcast with um, Scott Gomez uh, quite a f- quite a few months ago now, but he talked about a point where him and White were standing at the boards at a TV timeout and they're screaming at each other because they were in different positions and they start smacking each other with their sticks <laughs> to the point where the referee comes over and says, "Hey, I'm going to give you both a penalty for slashing each other, like knock it <laughs> off." But like, and obviously, like you know, that's an extreme example, but that's an example where these are the players. We're a little bit out there, a little bit crazy, a little bit wild, but they hold each other accountable. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that's sorely missed in this room. And, you know, it's great that they can all sit together and sing Kumbaya and hold hands, but they need somebody that's going to disturb some things. It's going to ruffle some feathers. I think they need more of that type of personality. Yeah. On the ice be great, but I want to see that more in the room. Yeah. just one real quick one, just because building off my point there, but Sam's absolutely right. The puzzle piece has to fit. Because it, if you're going to make a swing, which I think they should, and I think if it, if it, but it has to be right. And it has to be right for this roster. And it has to be complementary to what they're building and what their vision for the future is. You can't just go out and say, we're just going to sign this guy because he scores a bunch of goals, or we're going to sign this guy because he puts up some good points and, you know, he's established himself as a veteran in the National Hockey League. All that stuff is great. But if it doesn't fit this locker room, it's just going to be putting a square peg in a round hole. So if there is that star player that's available or if there is a stud that's going to come at a higher cost, what I'm saying is this might be the year to get rid of those future assets because you now have established what your vision for the future is. Now go out and support it and bolster it and build it up. Well, one thing we know in sports, there's always change. Even great teams make changes in the summer. This Devils team will make changes. This group will not be back intact, that's for sure. And whether there are other changes, they've got to improve the power play. I mean, I'm alluding to some potential coaching changes. That's always on the table as well. That That is the reality of professional sports. That's the reality of the NHL. But that's what makes the offseason so exciting. 
It would have been better if the Devils were building off a terrific season. Instead, it went off the rails six weeks or so into the season, never quite recovered. But the pieces are there. There are some major pieces there. And now it's a matter of just adding to that. And uh, hopefully next year is the year they break through and get to the postseason. Well, that will wrap things up. Amanda, Chris, Sam, thanks so much for your time. Uh, Always a pleasure to chat hockey, Devils hockey in particular, with all three of you. Well, Maddie, I know that um, we still have a couple podcasts to go through the summer, but, you know, you've done such an awesome job all, you know, this is the last one of the regular season, all regular season long, just sort of carrying the load, uh, compelling interviews. So I just want to make sure that as much as you thank us, uh, I, I want to thank you because I always listen, even when I'm not on, um, and you do a wonderful job and you're such a great connection between and don't take this in the wrong way, but when you're able to talk to the alumni and have that type of rapport and also the guys that are currently here. So uh, job well done this uh, regular season. Well, Amanda, that's very kind of you. And listen, I love what I do. I love this organization. I've seen the heights. I've seen the depths. And I'm happy to see that we're moving back toward the heights again. It's it's a thrill. And uh, I got a great team that I can share the space with, like you guys and and everyone else, including our producer today, Andrew McLean. We thank him for his hard work and uh, the entire group that I have the pleasure of working with. So we'll wrap things up on that note. This is Speak of the Devils, the podcast presented by RWJ Barnabas Health for Amanda Stein, Chris Westcott, Sam Kassan, and our producer, Andrew McLean. I'm Matt Lawson. Thanks for joining us. Tune in next time. Be safe, be well. So long, everyone.